Everybody's ready to study God's Word now, right? All right, get your Bibles open. I'm going to be reading shortly from the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11 again. And we're still teaching and talking in our message series that we entitled Rethink. We need to rethink some things. I've often said that that God probably, of course, how presumptuous is this for me to suggest what God should have done? But instead of giving us a new heart, he might have been better to give us a new brain. I know we can love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength, but truth of the matter is it's what goes on in here sometimes that gets us in a lot of trouble. And so we've been trying to just put some things, sow some things into your spirit that will cause you to rethink and hopefully get your mind renewed to thinking like a kingdom person would think. The kingdom of God, how many of you know where the kingdom of God is? The kingdom of God is not somewhere we're going. Listen now, I know if you've never heard this, this will sound almost like heresy. The kingdom of God is not somewhere you go. Jesus said, don't look here and there or with signs appearing, for the kingdom of God is within you. Wherever God rules, there is his kingdom. And so obviously he rules in heaven. So heaven would represent a part of the kingdom of God. But truth of the matter is that if God rules in my heart, there the kingdom exists as well. And so the kingdom is not somewhere we're going, it's somewhere that has come. It's something that has come. And and here's the good news. The good news is this, is that the kingdom of God has real answers and real solutions for your family, for your circumstance, for your life, for your finances. I believe the book is a blueprint. It is an owner's manual that if we would embrace and take seriously, we would begin to see a kingdom successful life begin to manifest in our life. And so we've been talking about this. And last week, just to kind of get your minds kicked into gear again, last week we We talked about how Adam, when he was created, along with his wife Eve, sinned by taking fruit from the tree that was forbidden to them. And once that took place, a curse entered into the world. I call it the earth curse system. And there were certain things that were declared that would become a feature of our lives if we functioned under that earth curse system. And I mentioned to you that one of the things that God declared would happen because of that first rebellion was this. He said to Adam that by the sweat of your brow, you will toil and you will work for what you eat and for what you, for what you begin to accrue. And, and I mentioned to you that I don't think that the curse was that we had to go to work. Because truth of the matter is, if Adam had not sinned, if Eve had not sinned, they'd still be in the garden having to harvest the fruit of the garden. I mean, you, I mean God didn't set up some lazy boy chair or sofa super couch or whatever and you were just going to lay there and he was going to send angels to feed you grapes when you wanted them that wasn't how it was going to work you were still going to have to exert energy but the key to that curse was is when he said by the sweat of your brow no longer would god be the one that would be the initiator and cause things to exist and that god would be the one that would bring it to pass but that the curse was that now you and I were going to have to make it happen in our own strength. That's the curse. 
That somehow or another, we were going to make it happen. We were going to make sure we got to the top. We were going to do what we had to do to be successful. And, and, it, and it was all about us doing whatever it is we had to do to get to where we thought we needed to be. And the problem wasn't the work. The problem was, and I know it's a nuanced thing, but the problem was is that our eyes got shifted from him who causes all things to come to pass and he who said it is not by might nor by power but by my spirit that things will happen. We shifted from that into, well, I'll make it happen. I'll just do it. And what happens when that takes place, particularly when you have a wicked, sinful, carnal heart is you do all sorts of things that are out of bounds in, in the kingdom of God. And so what happens if we forget these things or we neglect these things, life becomes twisted, life becomes difficult. And uh, can I just share this with you? Most of us are professional worriers. I mean, if we're good at anything, we're good at worrying. I mean, we know, we know how to be anxious. We gravitate to doubt. We gravitate to unbelief rather than to expect in faith. Why is that? Because we think we have to make it happen. Are you following me? So we worry, can I do this? Can I make it happen? Will it be there? But you see, if we understand that it's God who makes it happen, then our expectation and our faith can be loose towards Him. And when that happens, then supernatural, miraculous, providential things can begin to happen in our life if we have that faith and expectation. Now, I want to tell you a quick story before I read out of Mark 11. This just loosen you up. Years ago, when we were living in Spartanburg, we, we had a call to go minister at another church, and we did that a lot in those days. And the invitation came from a pastor who lived in Gallivance Ferry, South Carolina. Has anybody here heard of Gallivance Ferry, South Carolina? A few people have heard of that, just a couple hours up the road, really, from here. Don't blink if you go through Gallivance Ferry. I mean, it is literally just a, a gas station and a, a, a quick shop on 501, about 15 minutes outside on the east side, or excuse me, the west side of Conway. And, and I knew the guy, his, his name was Pastor Randy Lemley. Actually, Pastor Randy is still there to this very day, but this was a number of years ago. It was when my children, Kaylin wasn't with us yet. We, we had Clayton and, and Tyler. Tyler was very small. Clayton at that time, I want to say he was six or seven years old. I'm not exactly sure how old he was. But, but he was asking, he was going to go with us. The kids were going with us on this trip, and so they wanted to know where we were going. And I said, Gallivance Ferry, what, you know, what does that mean to a seven-year-old? I mean, And so I said, well, it's, it's relatively close to the beach. And when they heard beach, you know, that's, you know, the antennas went up. Now, we've been going to the beach, like many of you probably have on vacation for numbers of years, and be, living in the upstate, we would go to Myrtle Beach, and every time we'd go to Myrtle Beach, we would stay at Spring Maid Resort, which is on the south end of the city, right there as Ocean Drive curves around, and whenever we would go there, we would see just a couple of hotels down, this gigantic white, it was white in the daytime, hotel. But at night, they had these incredible purple lights that would, that would flash up on the hotel. And it was really kind of an awesome-looking, striking hotel when you would see that. And every time we would go, because, you know, we went to Spring Maid. And for those of you that know Spring Maid, that's where you go when you're P-O-O-R. I mean, so we were at Spring Maid, and, and this was not a Spring Maid-looking hotel. 
And, and, and they would always say, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to stay in the Purple Hotel, the Purple Hotel, the Purple Hotel? And so we'd heard this all through the years. And so here we are. I mentioned to them we're going close to the beach. Gallivant's Ferry, now realize it's west of Conway, about 15 minutes. Conway's about 30 minutes driving from Myrtle Beach. And so we're at least 45 minutes from the beach. It was just some way to tell Clayton where we were going. And all of a sudden, he, he was like a dog on a bone saying, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. <laughs> and I looked at him, I said, so we're not going to stay in the Purple Hotel. And, and, he, and he was just relentless on this thing. And then it got to this point. No, no, no. God told me we're going to stay at the Purple Hotel. <laughs> now, you've got to understand, I don't mean this to be flippant. I don't mean this to be disrespectful. But we, we would kid with each other in our family when, when we'd want something to happen. And, and we were going to sort of even make it happen. We'd just sort of laugh at each other and say, God told me. So, so, when, so when he used the phrase, God told me, I was just going, oh, come on. Don't tell me God told you we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. Oh, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. And so we get in the car, and we're going down the road. It took about three and a half hours to get to Gallivant's Ferry. Now listen to this. For three and a half hours in the back seat of our car, all I heard was, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. Purple Hotel. Purple, 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 purple Hotel. And you just, you know, and, and those of you that knew Clay when he was growing up, he just, he just was noisy. So... Dad, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. And I keep saying, son, I, don't be disappointed. We're not going to stay in the Purple Hotel. You already know where this story's going, though, don't you? See? So we get to Gallivant's Ferry, and I get the directions to go to the church. And I want you to get this. We had to turn off 501 to get to Gallivant's Ferry in this church. And, and I love Pastor Randy, and he's doing an incredible thing. But his church is out in the middle of a cornfield. We drove down a road that was a dirt road. And those of you that have never lived in rural situations, you know when you drive down a dirt road, it's just this cloud of dust behind you. And there ain't no way anybody could follow you. I mean, it's just this... And, and we were so far out in this cornfield that I was thinking we were lost. And so I eventually had to pull over to this, it looks like a renovated kind of country farmhouse. It had a gas pump out front, so I knew it was like a gas station. And it had like four guys sitting on the porch of this thing in rocking chairs. With chaw and, and pipes. I told Trace, I said, man, I'm just glad there's not a guitar or a banjo on that porch. I just, I wouldn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and so we went in and I got, I got the, the, the rest of the directions and got out there to the church. And I mean, it is in the middle of nowhere. I mean, this isn't a church like you can drive by Sam Rittenberg. And, and some of you saw Legacy Church and said, well, I'm just going to see what's going on in there. I mean, you got to want to go here. I mean, you, I mean, and so we're out there in the middle of nowhere, and so we, we catch up with Pastor Randy, and, and uh, we go through a couple things we needed to go through, and then he says, well, I'm going to get you to your hotel, and it just so happens that I have a guy in my church that owns a hotel, that's all he said, he owns a hotel, and uh, he does this for us for free, so it's really a helpful thing for our church, and it's a nice hotel, you'll like it a lot, and, uh, and I'm going to have to lead you there to get there. <laughs> I knew he was going to have to lead me anywhere to get out of where I was. So I said, that would be great. We'll, we'll follow you. And uh, so he started to lead us out back to 501. And you know, the whole time in the backseat, Clayton's going, we're going to go to the Purple Hotel. The Purple Hotel. Purple, purple. Oh, 
God. We're, son, we're 15 minutes from Conway. I know there's hotels between here and Conway. I know there are hotels between Conway and Myrtle Beach. And I know there are 10,000 hotels in Myrtle Beach. And we're 45 minutes at least away. There is no pastor that's going to take his guest speaker 45 minutes away from where he's supposed to be speaking. We're going to go to the Purple Hotel. We're going to go to the Purple Hotel. So we're driving. Well, we finally get to Conway. And so the whole time I'm going, well, we're we're probably going to be in Conway. And then we go through Conway and we're, we're going down 501 and we're headed toward Myrtle Beach. And I said, okay, okay, so he may own a hotel in Myrtle Beach. You know, like I said, there are thousands of hotels in Myrtle Beach. I mean, come on, a thousand hotels. And suddenly he takes the right turn at 17 uh, business bypass, excuse me, 17 bypass, and he starts going south. The whole time Clay's going, we're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. We're going to stay in the Purple Hotel. And about the time we made the left turn through the old military base that was there, it was starting to really stir in me. Could we be going to the Purple Hotel? I said, that's no. There's, I mean, there's still, even if, you, even if you just sort of brought it down to the south end of Myrtle Beach, I mean, there's still probably 100 plus hotels in this area. We cross 17 business. We're going like, we're going to Spring Maid. I'm thinking, well, maybe he knows the owner of Spring Maid. I know that's kind of a, uh, you know, Christian, it has sort of a family atmosphere to it. And all of a sudden we turn that corner and we're going down Ocean Boulevard and I'm watching Pastor Randy in front of me and he makes that turn up the ramp to the Purple Hotel. <laughs> and Clayton's in the back seat. You know, these were pre-seatbelt days too, you know. And he's just jumping. I told you! I told you the Purple Hotel, the Purple Hotel, the Purple Hotel. And... And I'm going, yep, you're right. You say, is that a true story? With God as my witness, that's a true story. The Purple Hotel. Now, I've often thought about that, and it was out of that story that we began to see in his life that he had a call of ministry on his life, a prophetic thing that was going on. But I've often thought of that story, and I thought how... Here he was at six, seven years old. I don't know. He's just eight years old. Here I am. Now listen, I'm, I'm traveling over the nation. I'm going to other countries. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm called as this prophet to come in and speak to churches and pastors conferences. And my seven year old's in the back seat going, we're going to stay at the Purple Hotel. And the prophet is going, just sit down. Just sit down. And, and it just dawned on me, why is it that at that particular moment, I'm not getting anything here. But he's got it before we even leave Spartanburg. Now remember what I said to you several weeks ago, let's be a detective. Instead of just saying, wow, weird. Or instead of saying, wow, what a coincidence. Why don't we begin to say to ourselves, Lord, how did that happen? And more importantly, why doesn't that happen all the time? In fact, why can't that happen in every arena of life? I want to follow up just with another little quick scenario that I suspect most of you in this room can probably identify with. 
Have you ever lost an earring? Ladies? No, but anymore when you say that, you have to be a little careful with who's losing the earrings. Have you ever lost an earring? Or, let me, this, this, this will affect everybody. Or you lost your keys? And you're, you're just, you're looking everywhere and you're trying to find this thing that, that, that you've lost. And, and perhaps you just whispered and said, Lord, help me, help me find these keys. Help me to remember where these keys are. And then all of a sudden, something's quickened inside of you. Or you stumble across them somehow, and you find them. Just out of curiosity, just lift your hand. If something like that has ever happened to you, just lift your hand. Now, I want everyone to look around right now. Look at that, look at that. Is that not remarkable? Can I ask a question? Why did that happen? Why can't it happen all the time? You know why it is? It's because you and I have not learned to walk with an expectation that God can really do that in our lives on a consistent, ongoing basis. We've not developed a sense of confidence that God can really step into situations just like that and cause these amazing, over-the-top happenings to take place in our life. And I honestly believe that's why on occasion when Jesus tried to teach about the kingdom of God, he didn't pull out the disciples in order to make the illustration. He went down to the daycare, and he got some kids, and he looked at these kids, and he says, if you want to understand kingdom things, then let's start looking at the kids, because children have no problem believing things. Is that not right? Now, I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, so do not send me emails on this one, all right? You know, but you can tell them about Santa, you can tell them about the Easter Bunny, you can tell them about a tooth fairy, you can tell them just about anything, and they'll just... They'll believe it. And there's something in a child's system that wants to believe. The problem is we grow up. And we grow up. I hear it. If it goes too bad, guys, I'll grab the handheld. (laughs) All right. But the problem is we grow up. Listen to me now. Focus now. We grow up into doubt and unbelief. You don't have doubt and unbelief when you're a child, but you grow into doubt and unbelief. I remember years ago, um, I was going to elementary school. <laughs> That's years ago, huh, honey? Yeah, years ago. <laughs> that is kind of funny when you think about it. I don't know, probably fifth, fifth grade, somewhere like that, and I had this desperate need to have a mini bike. Maybe that's something that happens in all fifth graders. But I'd walk home every day. That was, you know, in an era that you could still walk home from school and not be nabbed. And uh, I'm walking home every day. And every day I am wishing and dreaming that when I get home, my dad would have purchased me. You all remember those Honda 50s? Had a little round gas tank on it. Had the 50 emblazoned on the side. Oh, I just, I just, every day I would, I would imagine and dream that for whatever reason it would strike him to go get that mini bike, and I wanted that that motorcycle mini bike so desperately. And from about the fourth grade to the ninth grade, and I kid you not, my mind would go toward motorcycles just all the time, and I could envision it, I could see it. I, when when I watch people ride it, I could see myself riding on it. 
And it seemed like an eternity between fourth grade and ninth grade. It seemed like an eternity. But those of you that can add and count and subtract, how many years is that? That was only five years. And in five years, he went and he got me one. Now, it was bigger than a 50 because I'd grown by that time. It was a, it was a 100 a CC motorcycle, but but the point being is this that that I I saw and I dreamt and I anticipated and expected and maybe it took five years for it to manifest, but I got a better one than I had even imagined because you do realize that God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's what the scripture says. But I grew out of that. I grew out into doubt and unbelief. That's what's wrong with most of us in this room today as adults. We, we grow out of the simplicity of faith and you grow into your doubt and your skepticism and your unbelief. And when that happens, it short circuits or it cuts off the possibilities of God working in your life. And so we've got to renew our minds we've got to rethink and recapture what it is that jesus wants to do in us in order that we can see him and his power begin to flow in all of our lives and so i want to read to you this passage again i took a lot of time getting here and for those of you that don't know me i take a lot of time at everything but any but in mark chapter 11 i want you to remember this story jesus is walking by he's looking at a fig tree He initially wanted to get some figs off the fig tree, Mark chapter 11. And there are no figs in the fig tree. I don't know if he gets mad. I don't understand all the reasons as to what happened. But instantly he curses. He speaks a word and he curses that fig tree. And basically says, dry up, wither up and die. And let no one eat fruit from you again. And so about 24 hours later... He and the disciples are walking by this fig tree again. It says in verse 20, it says that they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots and Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, look, he's surprised. Peter's surprised. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now let's understand why he's surprised because number one, it's happened in 24 hours. Has anybody here ever wanted God to work in 24 hours in your life? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? I would love to know a secret to 24-hour God movement. So here's a 24-hour God movement. And Peter's like going, whoa, dude, this is great. And so Jesus answered, and he says to them some very simple words. He's going to answer the question as to how this works. He says, have faith in God, verse 23, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, we've already taught you that the mountain is your circumstance your problem your difficulty whoever says to this mountain be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart everybody ought to underline that phrase does not doubt in his heart but believes those things he says will be done he will have whatever he says therefore i say to you whatever things you ask when you pray not if you pray When you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. Now, here's here's the question really Peter was asking, and it's the one I've been asking you this morning. When he looked at the fig tree, he saw 24-hour results. 
he became the detective. When Clayton kept saying the Purple Hotel and the Purple Hotel showed up, there's a question that should pop up into our mind. When, when even for five years you have a, a dream or a desire uh, to see something happen in your life and it finally comes to pass, it's the question we need to ask, why doesn't this happen more often? The reason Jesus could do what Jesus did was because he was absolutely confident that his words and his faith and his expectation would come to pass. Did you hear what I said? He was confident. Everyone say confident. Confident. Come on, say confident. Come on, you're confident. You see, when he explained it to his disciples, he used the phrase, you do not doubt in your heart. I've been asked before by people, they'd say, well, how do I know if I'm doubting in my heart? How do, I, how do I know if I've got doubt running around in here? Well, I can tell you this. I believe that, that confidence is the indicator that doubt isn't running in your heart. In fact, in fact, the phrase literally means, it means no hesitation, no wavering, no misgiving, and no vacillating. That's what does not doubt in your heart. It means confidence. Now, I'll just say it up front. I don't believe that most believers are confident in God. Now, I, which is really kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? We're called believers, but we're not confident. Most who act confident are usually acting in arrogance or self-confidence, and that's what sort of irritates the rest of us is because you got people who think they're functioning in biblical confidence, but really it's arrogance, and then you have those that aren't functioning in any confidence at all. And so, so we need to parse this carefully because it's one of the factors that's keeping kingdom activity from manifesting in our life. And I wrote down here, how do we get our confidence back? Faith is all about confidence. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I think it will flash up on the screen overhead. It says this, that faith is the substance, in fact, some people have used the concept of title or deed. Faith is the title or the deed or the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence or the confidence of things not seen. You know when you go to court and you're confident when you're going there, it's because you've got evidence. I mean, you go, to, you go to small claims court or if you have to go because you're litigating some issue and if you're feeling fearful or trepidatious, it could be because you aren't sure if your case is strong enough. But if you go to court and you have evidence that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that what it is you're litigating is true and factual as you have understood it, you have a confidence. So faith is the assurance of things that you're hoping for, and it's the confidence of things not seen. So in other words, let's just go back to the Purple Hotel. He, he had seen at one time vacationing the Purple Hotel, my son, but somehow or another, God was able to speak to this six, seven, eight-year-old kid and be able to say, you're going to stay in the Purple Hotel, and because there was nothing in him that would hinder or cut off his belief system, he just confidently declared, we're going to the Purple Hotel. We're going to the Purple Hotel. And the reason Daddy was going, don't go there, was because Dad has had enough experiences now under his belt and enough disappointments in his life 
to know that you just don't get your hopes too high for much because if you don't hope for much, you won't be disappointed much. And you know what? That sounds good, but it's biblically wrong. A lot of us live that way. We have so many negative experiences in our life that we've got our, our bag suitcase full of negative experience. And so we've decided we're going to live life not expecting anything. And so if something does happen, we're happy. We're happy. But if nothing happens, all right, I, I'm not going to live with the disappointment. We've got to break out of this mentality, folks. We've got to begin to see that if we want God to move, then we've got to trust him. We've we got to get our belief in him. And if something doesn't work just the way you think it ought to work, it isn't because God doesn't love you and God doesn't want to. It may be because there may be something bigger, larger, more important at stake. And if you just hold on, you'd be amazed that five years later, the mini bike might be in your garage. Amen. That's good preaching, Brother Baird. Second Timothy 1.12, Paul said these words, For I know whom... I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. That's a great confidence passage. Now remember what we said last week about the curse. The confidence, here's our problem. Our confidence can't be in what we do. That's, if you're a self-made man, you're in trouble. Because number one is you've exhausted yourself and you can't go as far as you could have gone had the Lord been participating and a part of what was going on in your life. But I'm just telling you that you're functioning under that earth system. It's not, about, it's not being confident. I watch, I watch confident in the world's eyes, confident people all the time. But, but it's arrogance. It's either arrogance or they're hiding their insecurities. I've just hung around people long enough. To know that most people give me their plastic self, but behind the mask usually is a lot of insecurities and a lot of worries and anxieties and all sorts of things. So, so understand now, confidence is not about what you make happen, but your confidence is in what you know God can make happen. And you know, God doesn't have to make it happen necessarily tomorrow. Sometimes he waits in order to conform you more into his image and get his character into you you know that may not be your number one priority but that's his number one priority so so uh, here here hear me now he, he he wants to make things happen in your life i've heard people for years use these very words well i i, I am i'm trusting god I'm, I'm believing god for this but but this is my backup plan now think about this for just a minute you're trusting god but you got a backup plan what does that say about how you trust God? <laughs> See, because most people's backup plan, as I've said, is the plan. That's their plan. They've got their backup plan. And really, that's the one you really believe in because you spent time thinking about it, planning it, but you know to be spiritual enough to say, I'm well, you know, yeah, I'm trusting God, but I got this if it doesn't work out. Well, now I know where your trust is, say, can I just say there may be a legitimate place for planning out all your potential possibilities, but for most people, when you start getting to backup plans, you're moving out of believing God can do it and beginning to believe you have to make it happen. That's what you have confidence in. I'm going to give you four things real quick that you can begin to restore your confidence, all right? Four things. And we can work on these four things and it'll get us down the road. Number one, 
It is time to cease from striving. If you want to understand how to restore your confidence back in God, then you've got to cease your striving. Now, the biblical, it's interesting, the Bible talks about, and and I've never heard many messages on this, and maybe sometime I'll just have to do a message just on this, but I've not heard many people preach out of Hebrews on the rest of God. Now, maybe there are, and maybe you've heard a lot of them. I can't say that I've heard a lot about the rest of God. Many people hear the word rest, and they think, you know, like a nap or, or sleeping. You know, the Bible says that on the seventh day of creation, God, what did he do? He rested. Now, does, does that mean he took a nap? Well, no. What, what biblical rest is, it means a cessation from striving. You no longer strive. Now, in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, flip over there, or we'll put some of these passages up on the screen overhead. In Hebrews uh, chapter 3 and 4, there's an interesting passage here that the writer talks about the rest of God. And he actually uses the concept of rest with the Israelites as they're moving into the promised land. And, and what happens is, is that, that that first generation of Israelites, as they're trying to get their Egyptian mentality out of their system, and as they're trying to, to break through all of the things that have been ingrained in them after 400 years plus of slavery... That generation looks at the giants, do they not? They look at the giants and they instantly say, we can't take these guys. And the reason they can't take these guys is because they think they have to do it by themselves. So they're still under this earth curse system. And so they're looking at this and they can't do it. So, so God literally gets irritated with them. And, and, and as he gets mad with them... and they will eventually wander then for 40 years so a new generation arises that has a mentality that we are well able to go take on the giants. But he says, he says to the ones that are wandering these words in verse 11, he says, they shall not enter my rest. Listen to me very carefully. When you get to destiny... When you get to your promise, when you get to the thing God has called you to do or purposed to you to do, it isn't because you made it happen, but you can walk into it with a sense of rest. You didn't have to strive your way into it, worry your way into it. You didn't have to manipulate your way into it, network your way into it. Are you hearing me? I mean, you get into your destiny. God says himself, he says, I... He, he, says, my, he says, my prosperity will come to you with no burden associated with it. People get money and they think, what do I do with it? And, and they just strive over these things. And it's time we quit our striving. Now, I didn't say work. We don't quit working. But you've got to quit striving for these things. The Israelites were going to have to fight the giants one way or the other. They didn't get out of fighting. But they couldn't strive internally and wonder, how is it going to happen? How is this going to take place? We all know the story at a simple thing like Jericho. They had to get up off their blessed assurances and wander around Jericho, six times silent, seventh time shout. That took a little energy, right? Especially, Trey said, keeping their mouths closed. So, But who brought the walls down? God brought the walls down. Luke chapter 12, there's a parable Jesus tells us about the rich fool. It's interesting in that parable because it talks about how he's accrued all of these things and all of this money. 
And, and what it says is, it says that he wants his soul to take thine ease. Well, how does, how does his soul take ease? It says when he finally reaches the place where he has so much stuff that he can eat, drink, and be merry. That's what the scripture says. And so he builds bigger barns, the Bible tells us. He stores up more of his wealth in order that he can enter into what he thinks is ease. And God calls him a fool. Do you understand in our current economic situation there are millionaires right now who are worrying themselves to death over what to do with their 401ks and their portfolios and their stocks and and they're full they're full of striving they're full of of worry and anxiety and and it's in the earth what are we going to do how's this going to work and people are throwing money at this and money at that and we'll print more money and i don't i don't care what your political view is i'm telling you it was never god's way to live that way we strive in fact striving is the earth curse system and that's how we are we strive to make things happen and striving i'm going to tell you this right now striving is a manifestation of your lack of confidence. The minute you enter into striving, you have lost your confidence. I know pastors. I'll just speak to my bunch. I know pastors. They're the worst. Got to make it happen. Got to get people there. Got to raise the budget. Got to do this. Got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. Going to make it happen with folks. Going to somehow get them there. Got to, got to, got to, got to, got to. Whatever happened, whatever happened to just praying some things in. That's a novel thought, isn't it? What we do is we strive and then we pray so we make sure we feel spiritual. We're going to make it, make it, make it, make it. Oh, yeah, yeah, we need it. Oh, God bless what we're doing. See, we've, we've got to get back to the place where there are divine moments of connecting. See, I've, I've, I've handed out light bulbs. I've handed out tracks. I've done all sorts of things. And you know what I find for me sometimes is the best evangelism method is to simply begin to pray and say, God, let my path cross with other people's paths who need to know you, hear you, or know about us. Give me divine connections. And you know what? I can hand out 5,000 light bulbs to people and say, God bless you. Jesus is the light of the world and nobody comes. Or I can have three divine connections in a week and they'll all show up. You tell me. Say, have you ever met a salesman? Have you ever gone out, especially a car salesman? Have you ever met a salesman who had to make a sale? I mean, you can smell. You can smell the smoke of striving. I mean, you can tell you are, you, they, they've got to make the sale. And you know, the best salesmen, they'll tell you this, are those that don't need the sale. They're the, ones, they're, they're the ones that don't have to make it happen, but the ones that, I've got to pay the bills, i gotta, I got to, I got to, I got to. There's, there's the striving. Hear me now. If you want to get your confidence back, break striving in Jesus' name. Number two, you've got to know that you have a right to the kingdom. John 1.12 says that as many as received him, meaning Jesus, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. The word right literally means the authority to act. So in other words, once you invited Jesus into your life, you received an authority to act upon his promises. All you need is already in you because that's where the kingdom of God is located, right? Jesus is in me. I believe that I received Jesus Christ as my personal savior. 
I also believe that I was filled with the Spirit, so the Spirit of God dwells in me fully. So, so get this, I believe everything necessary for me to succeed is in here. The only thing stopping that from happening is my reluctance to act on kingdom precept. It can all be in there, but until you act on what he says is what looses this stuff, it will never come to pass in your life. This has always amazed me and interested me, is that whenever people look at Jesus, sometimes they'll look at his life in the scriptures, and what they'll say is this, well, that's great, that's what Jesus did. Oh yeah, Jesus cursed the fig tree, he spoke words, but he's Jesus. He's G- G- Jesus is an exception to the rule. Okay, listen to me very carefully. This is Orthodox Christianity. Jesus was, yes, fully God, but what else was he? So he was 100% God and he was 100% man. Now here, now listen, 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 because this is what everybody does in their mind. They read these stories about Jesus, they see what he does, and instantly they revert to the 100% God side. Well, yeah, 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 but he was, he was God, so of course he could do that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Think this through with me for just a moment. Does God the Father eat? No, come on, it's not a trick question. Okay, he's spirit, he doesn't eat. The Bible says he's spirit, he doesn't eat. Do you think Jesus ate? Well, we know, because the Bible tells us he ate. So obviously he was 100% man at that moment. Could he be everywhere at once? So obviously when he was on earth, he was the 100% man part acting in that capacity, at least at that point. I mean, you begin to see what he did. That's why Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, it's speaking of Jesus when he said, who being in the form of God thought it to be equal with God, not robbery. But he said he poured himself out, taking on the form of a servant. So literally when Jesus came... To this earth, he stepped into who we are. So he begins to walk life out on this earth, just like we're supposed to walk on this earth. And that's why, exactly, and that's why he looks at the disciples at one point, and he says this to them, should blow our minds. He said, greater works than these shall you do. Because I go to the Father. That's why he said, I'm going to send you another one who will, who will be my, he says it's the Paracletos or the Holy Spirit. He'll be inside of you to do these remarkable things. Listen, God, God dwells in us. That's why the Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the, see this is just Bible. And so all of a sudden I understand that I am not I'm not just ordinary. Now, I understand you look at a bald head and about 30 extra pounds, and those things can fool you. But I am not ordinary. And let me tell you something. If you've accepted Christ into your life, and your heart's after Him, you are not an ordinary person. You're an ambassador of the kingdom. You're a child of God. The Bible says you're an heir and you're a joint heir. In other words, you're linked up in inequality. I know it sounds almost like heresy, but it's not. Joint heirs with Him. That what He did, I can do. And the only reason we don't is because we don't try. We just, we just doubt and unbelief and 
Well, probably, well, all right, all right, it works for pastors. It'll never work for me. Well, if that's your position, then you're in trouble. You know, Dorothy, I come from Kansas, it's been a lot of years, but you know, Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz, everybody wants to know why the, the Wizard of Oz is a fairy tale. I can tell you why the Wizard of Oz is a fairy tale. It's because she wanted to get back to Kansas. Because nobody in their right mind. That's, I, I, I lived there for many, many years. I guarantee you, cold, there are two seasons, cold and hot. So that's why it's a fairy tale. She wanted to go back. But the whole point of the story is this. She could go back anytime she wanted to go back. Is that not true? And, but she didn't know what was on her feet, which were two ruby slippers. That all she had to do was click. And say, there's no place like home. Why didn't Linda tell her that earlier? Don't you understand what's inside of you? At any moment you desire to act, things can begin to happen. It's been with you all along. If you would just use it. Number three, we got to settle the trust issue. In Proverbs chapter 3, it's a familiar passage. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. You remember that one? Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. And, and we always stop there, but get verse 7a. It says, and do not be wise in your own eyes. I think that one ought to be added on there. See, until you settle the trust issue, because that's people who are wise in their own eyes have already determined they'd rather trust themselves than trust God. Until you settle the trust issue, nothing in the kingdom will work. And it shouldn't surprise us, even earthly relationships really don't work all that well if the trust issue is violated. And, and I've become convinced that the reason people see most of their miracles at the 11th hour. Isn't that, isn't that kind of wild how God always waits till like the last second before it hits midnight before he releases a miracle to you? Now let's be a detective. Why is that? I mean, Lord, couldn't you have got it to me an hour earlier and just spared me from all the upheaval? Why is it that when God moves, it seems like he shows up at the, just the 11th hour at the crisis moment? It's the 11th hour of the impossibility. It's because that's the moment you exhaust your who am I going to trust list. <laughs> You've already built up your list on who you're going to trust and God's usually at the bottom of the list. You've exhausted yourself on everything and then you said, well, I might as well trust God. You know how many people come to an altar and this is how they come? They come to themselves, well, I've tried, you know, I've tried therapy, I've tried... You know, reading a book, I've tried putting crystals over my head, I've tried, you know, I've tried worshiping my tree out in the backyard, I've tried, I've tried every religion that's out there, I've tried it all, so I guess, you know, well, I guess here I am. Well, <laughs> you've exhausted your trust list. And until you settle the trust issue that Jesus is who he says he is and God is who he says he is and that the kingdom is what it says it is, once you settle that, then you've got confidence to begin to see those happenings in your life. And then lastly, number four, you've got to stand unquestionably in faith for something. 
You know, the, I started thinking about building up your confidence and how do you build up your confidence? You've got to find places in your life right now. And this is really important because, I don't want to say this, that, that bad things can happen to Christian people and that, that things are thrown at us that are difficult and hard and, and we've got to press through. But, but listen to me real carefully. We don't, we don't stand at times until we face an insurmountable moment. And I want to I just kind of challenge just the congregation that you've got to find places in your life right now. If you're at a good place in your life right now, I, I rejoice with you and I'm glad for that. But don't stop finding places that you can stand in faith unquestionably in. Confidence is something that is built on, even in the natural. You know, when you begin to practice something or you begin to do something more and more, what happens is you gain greater confidence in it. I mean, in athletics, if you play a certain sport and you, as a young person or a child, begin to play that sport and you do it year after year, and, and, and you pursue it, and you do the things that are associated with it, what, what happens is it's what coaches call you gain confidence. We hear it during the football season when the new quarterbacks come out, and they've got to play in the game in order to gain their what? Confidence. The reason doctors have uh, residencies and internships, and the reason surgeons practice with another surgeon that watches over them for a season is so they can begin to gain their confidence as they do it more and more and more. Folks, that, that really works spiritually too, that you've got to find areas, and, and they may not be big deals to you, but you've got to find some areas where you can continually build your confidence that God will move. Don't wait until the doctor says you got six months to live. Because then you're not going to have your confidence ready to stand for your healing. You've got to, maybe you've got to press through a headache or two. Are you following me? Maybe you've got to press through some low-level things without instantly reverting back to the earth curse system. Begin to develop your confidence so when the great giants show up, man... You'll be of the generation that says, we're well able. It doesn't matter what he throws. We are well able. Come on. They're they're not so big they'll defeat us. They're so big we can't miss them. Now I'm going to end with this. In Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm done. 1035. It's one of my favorite passages. Listen to this. It says, therefore... Do not cast away your confidence, which has what? Great reward. Oh, it's on the screen. Don't cast away your confidence. It has a great reward. For you have need of endurance or patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now listen. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come. And will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone. Do you know that any. I'll tell you. Anyone in the Greek means. Yeah. See you're all Greek scholars here. Anyone. If anyone draws back. My soul. This is God speaking. My soul has no pleasure in him. My soul has no pleasure in him. 
I, I know you all don't think about this probably as much as I do. Some of you, I know it's on your prayer list and you think about it, and I appreciate that. But I suspect I think about it more than anyone here is how, how, we, how we as a church are going to move to our next step and the promise of God, which is to find a permanent location and facility. I mean, I thank God for what we have, and, and we've renovated it. It's wonderful, and I enjoy where we're at. But God, God, you know, God is moving us. I just want to remind you that that is happening. And, 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 and I, I don't want to say this. I'll have people at times around town ask me how it's going. Hey, how's the new property? How's the new project going? And I'm going, well, I uh, hadn't dropped a tree yet. <laughs> or I'll have people call up from out of town and ask me, how's it going? And, you know, it's just, it's, I, I don't mean for it to be weird, but it's kind of, it's just, it's just like, you know, I want to get going, but, you know, I am where I am. And you tell the story sometimes to folks, and it's interesting when you watch people and you tell the story, because sometimes they'll go, oh, Oh, well, that made me feel good. Thank you. I mean, I, mean, I appreciate that. And, and so what happens is, is that a little discouragement can want to knock at your door. Sometimes your confidence, wow, did I really hear from God on that one? You understand? It starts going, anybody ever have a little doubt do that to you? Oh, come on. Don't, don't make me get you all delivered from a spirit of lying. How many of you? Come on. Well, pastor, what did you do? Let me tell you what I had to start doing. I had to remember that there was a day seven years ago when I didn't know where my next paycheck was going to come from and I still had a house payment to make. I, wasn't, I, I didn't have any idea how it was going to work, where it was going to come from, how's all this going to shake out. And guess what? God came through. I had to remind myself, <laughs> when Legacy started, and I'm not joking when I say this, we didn't have a box of paper clips to our name. And, and, I, and, and of course, I couldn't make the house payment, so I couldn't even afford the box of paper clips. How do you start something like that? With nothing. God came through. Some of you don't remember this. I remember when we were at Legacy 1. And we didn't have any way to baptize folk over there, except that when it rained, there was one corner of the building that if you sat people in, you could put them in a chair, and I'll guarantee you, it wasn't sprinkling, we were still immersing. The fire marshal shut us down because I didn't know what I, you know, I, it was my fault, I didn't understand permitting, and boy, I understand permitting now. And there we were in that place, and then we were looking at coming here, and we were saying to ourselves, I remember I went to the bank, and I couldn't get the bank to loan me. I, all I needed was $70,000 for crying out loud. That's all I need. Some of you have credit cards with limits like that on it. How are we going to do this? And we took an offering in one day and we raised nearly $100,000 in one service that caused us to pay for this thing cash. Zero debt. God, God came through. Hey, I'll never forget the guy that was driving down the street and just stopped by. He has never 
attended this church. I don't know that he ever intended to come to this church. And he stopped by and simply said, I see what you're doing. I see what's going on. And he wrote me a check. Listen to this. He wrote me a check for $20,000. I didn't believe it would go through the bank. But I tell you, I ran down to the bank, got that thing deposited. Glory to God, it went through. I'd have never seen something like that if we hadn't been doing something like this. You remember, you remember the first of this year when, when, when the balloon part of our payment came due? And we needed, what do we need, 50, 40, 50,000? I don't even remember the numbers. I'm just kind of spewing off the top of my head here. And we had that Wednesday service. We just emailed everybody, get there. Pastor's going to get the last dime out of your account. Just come on to church. And we took the offering, and we eclipsed what we needed by a 10K or something. I mean, God moved on our behalf. You say, how do you get your confidence back, Pastor? I started remembering. And I'm looking at some of you, and you got to get remembering again. When did God heal your body last, and you know it was God? you got to get the remembering going again. Remember when you didn't know how you are going to pay your house payment, and somehow, someway, something came through, and you made your house payment? God came through. You were in a circumstance, and it was so convoluted and crazy, and, and you said, I don't know if this will ever work out, and it worked out. God came through. And when you begin to do that in your system, your confidence comes back. You begin to say, what can't God do? He can do anything. Absolutely anything. Because with man, some things are impossible. But with God, all things are. Listen, if you will speak to that mountain and say, be thou removed and cast into the sea. And do not doubt in your heart. But you begin to believe that whatever you say shall come to pass. It will be done. It will be done. And the only, listen. You can walk out and you can say, yeah, right. Well, you just go live your life. I'm not waking up from this one. I, 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 I got it. I got it. I'm tainted and stained. And I am, so, I am so immersed in the kingdom. You can't pull me back now. You can't pull me back now. Come on, godly confidence. Would you stand with me? Father, I ask right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would quicken the minds of your people in this room, that they would begin to remember all the moments that you came through. Maybe they only had one or two, but that's one or two. Some of them have dozens. Renew their mind to remember who you are and what you've done. Lord, I ask you by your spirit right now that you would begin to cause confidence to arise. As we prayed in early morning prayer time, we break doubt, the spirit of doubt and skepticism, cynicism, critical spirit. 
we just bind you and, and we just declare you, you're, you're not turning our passion you're not turning you're not turning Lord our, our absolute commitment to walking it out to the end with you we will not draw back we will not draw back Just as we're standing in these last moments, ask the Lord right now. You personally, as you're standing there, you ask the Lord to begin to cause confidence to arise. Some of you, some of you need God to move in some really important ways. And the truth of the matter is, He wants to move. But He's waiting for an atmosphere of faith. It says in Hebrews eleven six, it says that, the, that, that if you come to God, you must come to Him by faith. For He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. But you got to diligently seek Him in confidence and faith. So you need to let your mind be renewed right now. Can I, can I just share this with you? Because we're just kind of straight up. But, but sin is the greatest doubt provider in any person's life. Sin alienates people from God. You understand the beginning of sin was when the serpent said to Eve, surely you'll not die. He began to sow doubt into her life. And then doubt ran loose in the garden. And it caused all the mess we face today. I'm telling you, sin is one of the greatest doubt producers in people's lives. It makes you lose your confidence to stand before God. It makes you lose your confidence that you want to do anything great in your life. That's why he says if you'll walk in the light as he is in the light, that his blood will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It doesn't take a word of knowledge to probably know this morning there are folks gathered that that either need to make their commitment new again before the Lord or if you've never made a commitment to the Lord, today's your day. God has such a great plan for your life such a wonderful purpose and you're aimless and you're con- you're confused and 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 right now you're full of worry you're, you are the professional worrier you are living in anxiety and, and you're wanting it to change I'm telling you you can't see change until the Prince of Peace steps into your life it's just a quiet moment but with every head bowed and every eye closed I'm not going to take but a moment but if you need you need to get things right and get things cleansed before the Lord before you go. We invite people forward. See, people have already started to come, so you won't be you won't be the only one. You won't be the only one. Come on, they're coming. Why don't you join folks that are coming right now? How about you? You aren't coming to join Legacy, by the way. We don't. We, this isn't how we take in members. You're just coming because you want to get things right with God. Let's take just a moment. Let's just take a moment. Come on, I want to take just a moment. Come on, right now. If that's you, just slip out right now. We're waiting on you. We're waiting on you. If I, if I could, if I could grab you, I grab you. Come on, it's it's your moment to get your confidence back. Get God involved in your life again. Yeah.
I, I actually kind of like it when they come just kind of one at a time because it's, it's showing me the gods at work. Come on. Come on, I, I want this for you. Do you want it for yourself? Come on, don't let him, don't let embarrassment or the thoughts of embarrassment or some shame, don't let that stand in your way right now. Come on, get back into the kingdom again. Get back into the kingdom again. It's some of the best decisions you're making are the ones you're making right now. You're just saying, Lord, I'm coming to you. I want that so much. Come on. I'd wait, I'd wait all afternoon if it were possible. But I can't. I can't. I've only got just a few moments left. But for some of you, you'll never break through until you break out from something as simple as your seat right now. You're wanting to break into something new in life, but you can't. You're paralyzed in your seat. If you just take a step out of your seat and just say something as simple as that. God will open up a new arena to you. Come on, intercession is happening in the saints of God right now. Come on, let's one final push through an intercession. Because I know, I know God's loving people right now. Loving them to the cross. Loving them to His will. Loving Him to His purposes. Say yes to the Holy Ghost. What you're feeling right now inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit loving you, saying, yeah, you, 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 you. It can be different for you. We're on a countdown. I'm, I'm going to shut it down in 15 seconds unless, unless someone else says they'll come. You, you can help someone else's obedience, but in 15 seconds I'm watching. I'm gonna, we'll just call it, we'll, we'll call it closed, and then we'll pray. But if God's talking to you, God bless you. See, now you got another 15 seconds. Say, Pastor, what is this, an auction? I'll do anything to see people come into the kingdom, just about. i got about 10 more seconds, and if it's you, you can produce someone else's obedience. How about it? How about it? How about it? Okay, God bless. Here's what we're going to do. Everybody in the house joining with these that have gathered here on the front. I want everybody to lift our voices together. Do not keep your voice silent. Everybody join with me. Pray after me. Come on, let your sincerity and your genuineness come. Let your brokenness come too. And all together, let's say, Dear Jesus, I've heard your voice today and I'm responding to it. I believe you have better things for me. And I'm understanding that it's your way and not my way. So I confess now my sin and my waywardness. And by a choice, an act of my will, I turn from that way and respond to you. I confess with my mouth 
that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart. I don't doubt a bit. I have full confidence that you were raised from the dead. And because of that, you're putting in me your victory, your forgiveness, your cleansing, and your hope. I receive that. I receive you this day. And I am glad today that I am being transferred from the domain of darkness into your kingdom. I declare by my sincerity and my act of obedience <laughs> that I am a child of God. By that right, I shall act and I shall see kingdom things in my life. Thank you, Lord, for meeting with me today. I love you with everything I got. And I pray in Jesus' name. Come on now, say amen real loud. Amen. Yeah. 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 I want everybody now just to start singing. I'm coming. Come. I'm coming. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. Come on, everybody, lift your voice before we go today. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. Again, I'm coming. I'm coming your way. baptized today, which warmed our hearts. We had folks respond today wanting all that God has for them in their life. 
And this is what our job is as the people of God. Is, is not to scare them, but to encourage them. And to tell them you've made the best decision of your life. I mean, I, we're here for you. We want you to succeed. You need to get connected in a local church somewhere. And begin to pursue them with all your heart. And I'm telling you, crazy over the top things. That will absolutely mess you up forever. In the best way possible. So, Father, I pray right now, I thank you for every person that slipped out, sought you, opened up their heart, received you into their lives. There were commitments that were renewed and strengthened. People in the congregation whose minds were renewed with great confidence again. Lord, I ask you now just to seal your work in our hearts, man. Lord, do it. Do it, do it, do it. Lord, I just believe you're calling your people up to a a new height and a new level. Three words the Lord gave me for 2010. It's get it right. <laughs> get it right. Get it in order. Begin to, begin to, uh, what was it? Go to the next level. Position it for the next level. And then, um, help me. Bring life. If it's stale and lifeless, let it go. Thank you. Thank you. So let that be a personal word for you. He's taking you to a new level. So Lord, seal that in our hearts today. Let the love of God begin to prevail in our midst. And Lord, we, we do. We just love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Put, put your hands together. Now love each other. Fellowship with each other. God bless you. I'm glad you're here. I hope I see you at connect groups or in the middle of the week. But God bless you. You're released.